0: The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphine. I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And we are going to talk about a case that uh, came across uh, our desk several weeks ago. And this was a patient that was referred to me with Complex regional pain syndrome history. We could talk a little bit about CRPS type 1 and type 2, but essentially she had a bunion surgery and then developed a debilitating nerve pain after the bunion surgery. How long ago? Uh, seven years ago. Wow. So she had been dealing with this for uh, six, six and a half, almost seven years, I believe. Um,
1: so we talked about this before, complex regional pain syndrome. We kind of touched across mm-hmm. it. There's two versions. There's a type 1, which is nondescript. There's no specific nerve pathway. Uh, and Correct. there's a type 2, which is more associated with a specific
0: nerve pathway, usually associated with an injury. And I think the problem is some people get labeled with CRPS type 1 or just CRPS in general, and nobody looks for a discrete nerve injury. Yeah. And that's... a a real problem um, because if there is a discrete nerve injury, we can often address that safely and give people pain relief and uh, can be life changing. So one of the th- one of the aspects of CRPS that um, is interesting is that in most cases it tends to burn itself out. Now patients are miserable while yeah. it's it's creating this problem for them, which is a twenty four seven problem of pain. Their sensitivity can be so distinct that just simply the the breeze blowing past the limb that's in pain can be enough to cause tremendous pain. Yeah, A lot of patients will walk in saying, I can't put sheets on, I can't Mm -hmm. put shoes on, I can't
1: put socks on, I can't let anything touch it. If the wind blows on it the wrong way, if my pet runs across it or anything like that, excruciating 10 out of 10 plane, I mean...
0: Very very sensitive areas. So, so in the in the traditional CRPS or RSD is what it used to be called. You get the the skin color changes on in that limb. Yeah, the molding. The uh, skin temperature, swelling, decreased function, rapid or no hair growth or nail growth on that side. So those are the traditional check boxes. Uh, but those folks that have a true nerve injury that may not have been diagnosed appropriately or, or even looked into. Uh, those folks can have those same symptoms but usually if you really get down to brass tacks you can you can figure out that it's a there's a dermatomal pattern or there's at least a specific discrete nerve pattern to it for a particular sensory nerve and in this case this this woman that came in we did a block of her superficial fibular nerve and we were able to eliminate her pain so we knew she didn't have generalized CRPS that is very difficult to treat and can be debilitating, but she had a specific discrete nerve injury that nobody had identified. And so that was where we could really be helpful. So superficial perineal or superficial fibular nerve is in that anterior lateral aspect of the ankle, front of the ankle. It does sensation on the top of the foot. It does sensation on the majority of the top of the foot. Yeah, and at this point, it's pure sensory, right? There's no right. muscular, skeletal function. Uh, yeah, there. It's really just a sensory branch at that stage. And so, our thought process was do the diagnostic block, which we did in the office, identified that yes, she has most likely a discrete nerve injury, but but we didn't. Uh, we assumed that she had some sort of entrapment syndrome where the fascial tissue uh, had gotten thickened or scarred somehow, even though it was. Unrelated to the bunion. I mean, this is not an area that should have gotten injured.
1: Yeah, during no bunions. way you should have been up in this
0: area for bunions. Right, exactly. So, um,
1: so I, I know you told me the story. So if you could tell for the, the yeah, people listening. So
0: I think what, and this is actually a discussion I had with her husband after I had completed the surgery. So I get in here, uh, we find the nerve in a normal area. We follow it down towards the foot and we find a massive neuroma. Uh, neuroma incontinuity, which is a big scarred nerve. nerve right there. And we'll be able to see it here in just a couple minutes. So, he's, her husband's telling me, he's like, Yeah, you know what? I wonder if this had something to do with the fact that they forgot to do the post operative block, the local block. And the doctor came in in recovery and injected her ankle to give her post op pain relief. And he, to a layperson, it looked like he was stabbing her. <laughs> so, that's kind of what you're doing with an injection. And the but reason
1: it was so high was because she had a dressing she on, She had right? a dressing
0: on. So he was trying, the guy was trying to do, the surgeon was trying to do a- an ankle block or at least block the specific nerves going to the the medial and dorsal part of the foot so that she could get some extended pain relief after the surgery. Something we do all the time, but we usually do it more in the area of the surgery. Yeah, just the local block. Right. And so this 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 may have been the incident that caused her chronic nerve pain, and nobody identified it because it didn't seem like it was a part of the surgery. And it, I wouldn't have even thought that until he described what went on in recovery. Yeah. So we get in here, uh, we find the nerve proximally, and it looks pretty normal. That's a fairly normal part of the nerve. But as soon as we start following it distally towards the foot, you can see that this nerve gets thickened, it gets uh, sort of uh, bulbous, and starts yeah. to look very abnormal. And when we fully dissect it out, you can see this thing is just a mess. Um, there's an area where the nerve pops out of the fascia, and that's right, pretty much right where it was. So everything on the left is pretty normal looking nerve, and everything on the right of that hemostat or of that uh, forceps is really a very abnormal looking nerve.
1: Just the fact that it goes from like thin to bulbous yes. as it's going distally. I mean, right. it's, it's the exact opposite of what you're expecting. Right. To see.
0: It's going from like three millimeters or two and a half millimeters thick to, you know, almost a centimeter thick. So that wow. is all very abnormal. Nerve. Look at
1: that. He yeah. must've, he must've
0: caught that like head and it, on. It's really hard to intraneurally inject a nerve. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it, these nerves anyway, the sciatic nerve, not it's pretty easy. That thing's, huge but these nerves are two and a half three millimeters thick it's not not easy to do that but it's possible and and we think that's the likely uh etiology for this particular nerve injury
1: so this lady has a neuroma right just you know traumatic nerve injury
0: right you have options and and what are your what are your well ideally we'd want to reconstruct and and if we had found that to what length that's 70 millimeters yeah 7 centimeters or 70 millimeters, that's the full extent of uh, an avance, uh, acellular, uh, cryopreserved nerve graft. And so these nerve grafts that we can use are cadaveric nerve that that has had all the cells washed out. It's it's the internal architecture of the nerve and, and uh, the lan- lanolin. There's a soft tissue component to it, but there aren't any cells that would create an immune response so that you can use it on any patient. You don't have to worry about uh, creating an immune response. And so if it was less than 70 millimeters, we could have reconstructed, we, ha- we could have found nerve on Just the on. other side that would have worked. Yeah. And we could have connected those two sides with, with these nerve connectors. And that's kind of showing what a nerve connector looks like the oxygen nerve cap. But in this case, the damage was greater than 70 millimeters. And so we chose to cap the nerve and this is showing the technique for transecting the nerve. So you want to use a sterile tongue depressor. We can actually measure the width of the nerve to determine what size cap uh, we want to use. You A blade, want to, not scissors. Yeah, you want to use a 10 blade or a 15. Sometimes you can use an 11 or a 10. But you want to see bleeding axons on the proximal end. So on the, on the left is the proximal end. And then we took this out. We sent it off. Came out uh, neuroma, but... As long as that end nerve is no longer connected to the brain,
1: yeah,
0: uh, that's going to wither and shrivel up and go through alerian degeneration and go away. That part, we don't have to be real specific in excising the entire thing. But it was pretty clear that we had greater than seven centimeters of, of damaged nerve. And so we're going to keep trimming this nerve back until we see bleeding axons. We, we went back far enough that we found bleeding axons right away. Mm-hmm. So then we were able to apply our nerve cap properly sized. It's about a, about a millimeter greater than the width of the nerve. And then we use an epineural suture technique with 9-0 suture. And, and even though this video quality is pretty good, you can't even see the suture. I mean, it's, yeah. it's thinner than your hair. You're wearing, what, 3.5, 4.5? Four, four, four uh, times loops. Yeah. Yeah, my loops, I can go from 3 to 3.5 to 4.0. Oh. And so we're doing an epineurial stitch technique where we're not grabbing axons. We're being very careful not to grab axons. You're going
1: in line with it rather than yep. transversive. And we're also. using a
0: spatula, nine o nylon, spatula needle, so it it's very easy to control okay. your depth. Yeah, and it pushes the, the nerve fibers Away, rather yes. Than the, theoretically, wrong. yeah. You can still, if you don't use it properly, you can yeah. still grab axons and have a problem. But this is a very uh, helpful way of preventing a stump neuroma. And so, a stump neuroma would be you've cut the nerve, and now the nerve trying to grow to the end of the foot again. It does a poor job of that. It becomes this painful ball of nerve endings. Yeah. So we're able to suture this, put about three sutures into this to keep it into the nerve cap, and then we take that nerve cap and that whole construct and plug it into muscle. And generally speaking, you know, this will help prevent the patient from developing the stump neuroma. Now, they're going to have permanent numbness distal to that. So the top of their foot's going to be numb. But this patient clearly would trade the chronic 24-7 peripheral nerve pain, the burning, stabbing, shooting, uh, for numbness. And this patient's done really well. So this was a CRPS patient, yes, but CRPS type 2, she had a distinct nerve injury that we could intervene upon And so this is the sad part is I think when people get diagnosed with CRPS, in some cases, it is a global diagnosis that they never come back from because nobody uh, entertains the idea that there could be a discrete nerve injury. And they put
1: you on pain medications, gabapendalurica, pain stimulators, uh, spinal cord stimulators. Dude, she
0: was on, on board with getting a spinal cord stimulator that may have helped dull some of her pain. But wasn't addressing the problem. We are clearly addressing the problem with
1: this. So that right there, you're burying it into the muscle. Right. So just, you know, pants over vest type technique. You know, you're, you're hitting it with the nerve cap. You've transected it back to where it's healthy. And you're burying it in muscle. And you so we're you're closing
0: hitting, the fascia over the muscle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're
1: making sure that any risk of stump neuromas or anything like that. Is
0: mitigated. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. And and generally speaking, that that works quite well. Yeah. So then we, we use monocryl and proline and close the wound and layers. But, yeah, this lady's done really, really well. Uh, they're going to have some soreness at the implantation site, the nerve cap site, for a few weeks to a few months. Yeah. We can intervene with that, sometimes with a steroid shot. Um, hopefully we don't stab the nerve again. Um, <laughs> it's just it's inc- it's it's really hard to do that. And so yeah. this, this guy, you know, you want to say it was bad luck. Just the um, luck of the, I mean, that's really the yeah, first th- time I've ever seen anything like that. Yeah, it's not not very typical. But but sad that this patient was kicked around by the system for six yeah. or seven years until she happened to show up with us. Yeah. What's your recovery? Two weeks. I mean, for skin to heal. And, and then yeah. it'll take, it usually takes six to 12 months for the patient to go through the whole process of recovery
1: letting the coaster. nerve calm down yeah.
0: but, but a lot of folks man you, you nail this and you do this the right way they they have tremendous pain relief within just a few days couple of weeks have the skin heals and then they're you know you do this far enough above normal shoe gear that it's not going to get in the way of most shoes anything rubbing against yeah and, and because we bury it in the muscle even boots that like winter boots that come up above the ankle it's unlikely that she's going to have a problem with that yeah great case yeah, just a really interesting case of, of a, a Bunyan patient that had chronic yeah, of pain. Of all afterwards. things, right? <laughs> yeah, very atypical, but but really cool when you can take a CRPS patient and give them some hope because CRPS, man, you do enough reading online, and you could really send yourself into a spiral of depression. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, because
1: it just sounds awful. A lot of these patients are yeah, highly depressed, they're high anxiety, depressed. Yeah. suicidal, some of them. Yeah. One of the treatment options is amputating the limb,
0: which, which is That doesn't crazy. work well. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you, they end up with continued nerve pain. You're, and, you're
1: just damaging more nerves, probably. Yeah.
0: I just think that's uh, that's not a really good option at all, and yeah. it hasn't been proven to be very helpful. Uh, we still keep these people on uh, gabapentin yeah, yeah, yeah. or Lyrica uh, for the time being until their nerve pain hopefully fades yeah, because gab- Gabapentin and Lyrica becomes gabapentin as it goes through the liver. The The goal of that drug is to raise the threshold for the nerve to become irritable, and it does a reasonably good job at that. But that drug, both those drugs really need to be titrated. Yeah. You need to be able to adjust the dosage to meet the patient's needs where they can get pain relief and can tolerate the side effects. Because it does make you sleepy, it can make you mentally foggy. We start people off at bedtime on a low dose That's and what then I do. slowly up from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, First week, 100 milligrams, bedtime, and then I start increasing the dose so not to get that sleepy effect.
0: And one of the things we talked about at the nerve meeting this past weekend where we presented that case was... When you are contemplating operating on CRPS patients and you think you've got a discrete nerve injury that you can address, one of the things that we need to do is keep in mind we, we don't want to fire up their CRPS. So I think it's really important to use a multimodal pain strategy. Yeah. So we'll usually use uh, Celebrex or Celecoxib, 200 milligrams. Some people use 400 milligrams, uh, two hours prior to surgery, 600 milligrams of gabapentin, I think there is some evidence that using dexamethasone is even even a great idea as well pre-op, yeah, uh, and then keeping them on those drugs post-op, uh, but also using ketamine as your as your general anesthetic. Ketamine is a unique general anesthetic in that it's a disassociative anesthetic, so it's disassociating the pain from the the part the and, trauma surgery. Yeah, and and it's allowing uh, a, just a different pathway of pain relief for the patient that can allow things to calm down. We also use post op blocks, so that it may be two or three days before their limb wakes up. Post op blocks. Uh,
1: after hearing about this case, but or
0: if it, I, it I, I'm actually kidding, a pre op block. I do, this I, patient, yeah, I do my pre op too. So because of, because this patient, we're not using the NIM unit, so we're not trying to stimulate the nerve during the case because it's purely sensory. That's not going to do any good. I would do a pre-op popliteal block, and our our folks are doing that under ultrasound. They're ultrasound very careful; yeah, they don't they touch really
1: the nerve. Do. They go around
0: the nerve. Yeah, they're doing yeah. they're doing a good job. The, our anesthesia folks uh, in our fanta- they're fantastic. Yeah. So they do a really good either pre-op or post-op. But in this case, uh, we did do a pre-op block, so the patient woke up pain free. They stay pain free for two or three days. So the idea is you're just you're letting the the nerve wake up slowly over time, letting the brain almost reset itself, mm-hmm. so that it's not receiving pain signal from that that branch any longer. So hopefully, you just toggle off all of the all the chronic pain syndrome stuff. I think we also have to be aware that some of these folks can have centralization of pain, and they may need psychiatric care in addition to what we're doing surgically. So uh, we do, you know, make sure that we keep that in mind and try to get people that the additional care that they need
1: yeah, you don't want to be you know uh, closed-minded to any of that stuff no
0: it, i think the only downside to going that route is it, there aren't enough of those folks around and it's yeah. sometimes weeks or months before you can get in to see mm-hmm. them but we work closely with the pain management folks to make sure that the patients have what they need you don't want to stop their narcotics if they're taking opioids opioids are not great for peripheral nerve chronic peripheral nerve pain but some people respond to them and so you don't want to stop that and and then then develop withdrawal symptoms at the same time that they're recovering from their nerve pain. So you want to continue that stuff, but you want to be multimodal, anti-inflammatories. Oh, uh, Tylenol. Pre-op Tylenol seems to be a really, 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 really good idea. So um, whether it's PO or IV, uh, definitely something that we're taking advantage of because it works in, on multiple levels on the pain pathway. Yeah, really, really interesting case. This lady's doing yeah, great. great case. Really, really happy to see that uh, this appears to have answered her prayers and and certainly um, provided her pain relief. So awesome. So that is a CRPS type 2 discrete nerve injury patient uh, in a nutshell that uh, was a result of Events that happen perioperatively, yeah, not obviously. directly related to the surgery. So, very cool. Yeah, awesome. One in a million case. Kind of. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Hussein. If you guys have questions about CRPS, uh, we do work uh, closely with our CRPS Warriors. Yes. Uh, that is a support group. You can look up CRPS Warriors. Uh, it's not-for-profit. They do a great job of providing information for patients who are struggling with CRPS.
1: All of them are volunteers. They're yep. very, very helpful, and they'll they'll help out. You know, with uh, cost of surgery,
0: cost of treatment, cost yep. of transport, uh, getting you DME devices. I mean, they they can provide grants to help yeah. pay for certain things if your insurance doesn't cover them. So you can get in to see docs that may not be in your in your network, but that are specialists in this area. Take a look at the CRPS Warriors. Uh, we'll try to have our guys. Uh, put that in the show notes. All right, well, we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank
1: you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe. Be safe. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.